Will you uh, join me? I want to pray for our time here. Jesus, I just ask you to enter this space with your presence and through your spirit that you would speak to each and every heart that's in here. You have a, a unique message to speak to each one of us. And I pray that that will be accomplished this morning. I pray that you will remove the barriers that stand between our hearts and yours, that you will remove the wax from our ears, that you will uh, remove the stubbornness from our wills, so that when you speak, we will respond. Jesus, make yourself known here. We pray as we look into your word. Amen. Amen. We're going to hang out another week this morning in Acts 10. Turn it on first. There we go. We're going to hang out another week in Acts 10 with this whole story of Peter and Cornelius because I want to push a little bit deeper. Uh, Mark introduced this topic. He, he covered kind of a large span of verses last week, and I'm going to cover that plus some. Uh, still kind of looking at this story from a little bit of a higher level, but I want to push a little bit deeper today into how the Holy Spirit works to lead his church and how he works to lead his people. I want to push deeper into how he moves and transforms us when we need to be moved and transformed. And I don't know if it's that I brought my own story into this text I was, as I was preparing this week. But I know that I definitely received something from the Lord in this. In the middle of, of just uncertainty for our church and uncertainty for our three families. Um, God spoke this week. And so I'm, I'm praying that he... You, you would hear what he has to say as well. But I'd invite you to join me in Acts chapter 10. I'm going to cover verses 1 through 29. And if you weren't here, I want to read through this text kind of quickly again, just so you get an overview of, of what this story is. Um, so you're on the same page here. Starting in verse 1 of Acts chapter 10, it says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius. And he was a century, centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision the angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have, alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Kind of the close of act one of this drama here, starting up in verse nine again. The next day. As they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came again to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. 
Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, I want you to hold on to that phrase. While Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. And they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the man and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. As he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask then why you sent for me. Peter experiences a deep awakening in chapter 10. And, and it goes on into chapter 11, this awakening that he's undergoing. You see, if you remember back when Jesus was around, back in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus made an incredible statement to Peter. Peter was the first one who spoke out the words, Jesus, we believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in response to that, Jesus said to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. An amazing statement. Here's This is Peter, the rock, the foundation of the church. But there's something blind in Peter that by the end of this story he now sees. He goes through an awakening. I want to look at this morning at why... He needed an awakening and, and kind of how that whole tra- journey of transformation happened for him because it was pretty incredible. Transformation. We, we talk about it. I think we even experience it from time to time. We talk about God speaking to us and leading us. You know, I, I shared with you right off the bat, I, I believe God has been speaking and moving in Middle Cross Church. But how do we know? How do we know when he's speaking and leading? That's my question. I think that's your question more often. How do we know, even maybe if we hear him speaking, how do we know what he means when he speaks to us? Oftentimes it's frustrating and cloudy and confusing. And our question in the middle of it most often is, is this really God speaking? Or is this some other voice? Is this my own voice? And so I personally find a lot of comfort, a lot of encouragement in when I, when I see Peter going through this journey of transformation in chapter 10. Peter, after all, is the rock. He's the, the father of the church. The whole church is founded on him. And, and it wasn't always so easy for him either. He didn't always 
get it. In fact, you're going to see that most of the time Peter didn't have a clue. We saw, you saw that as he walks with Jesus. Um, even after this story, he still doesn't completely get it. Later on, Paul has to kind of call him back to account around these things. But what Peter did is he just took the next step. He did what it seemed like the Holy Spirit was telling him to do at any given time. And it was God who directed and shaped and transformed and awakened Peter. And I find some encouragement in that. If God can do that for Peter, leader of the church, I think he's going to do that for me as well. Why did Peter need an awakening? Like I said, as at this point in his journey, Peter has this huge blind spot. If the Holy Spirit doesn't at this point intervene and open his eyes to awaken him, then the mission of Jesus on earth is literally not going to move forward. It's crucial that this happens at this point. Peter needs to repent. Of this blindness, of this blind spot in his life. He needs to be transformed. What's his issue? I think it's an issue that a lot of us can relate to. Peter was, Peter was a devoted follower of Jesus. He physically walked with Jesus for three years, day in and day out. He heard Jesus teaching. He saw, imagine all of the, the amazing miracles that Peter saw. He witnessed the trial and the death of Jesus. He witnessed the empty tomb. He was a leader. He was a, an apostle in the church. And he's, he's still struggling with this blindness. What's his issue? He has this inability to see God's act, activity. And, and his issue goes back to the fact that Peter was, was what was known as a Torah-observant Jew. And, and maybe the best way to say that in a way that we can understand is that Peter... Peter, like many of you, like me, grew up in the church. He was a church kid. He was a Torah-observant Jew. He knew the law. He had observed it for his whole life. He knew what was right. He knew what was wrong. He knew the way things should be done and the way they shouldn't be done. And so he had this fear as, as, a, as someone who grew up in the church. He had this fear... Uh, like a, the fear that I think a lot of us have who grew up in the church. He had this fear of, of those people, the outsiders. He had the fear of, of the people who were not part of, uh, part of the church. God, he gave him this kind of blindness that he didn't even know he had. And Peter, Peter thought that to stay separate from those people, those kinds of people, protected him, kept him pure, kept him holy. But what it really did was it gave him this blindness that he desperately needed healing from, that he desperately needed repentance over. He needed an awakening over. It gave him this blindness to God's mission and God's activity as God began to take his, the gospel of Jesus and push it beyond, out the doors, beyond the walls, to the Gentiles. So he began to expose his heart, that God's heart, that he wanted the whole world to come. And it's not just that Peter couldn't see Cornelius, but it made Peter blind to the activity of God in Cornelius and in, in a lot of other people, others like him. Peter couldn't see the activity of God in anyone outside of his little group. 
his own little picture of what things should look like. God's, you know, I, I have this picture that God's activity looks like, like that over here, and it doesn't necessarily look like this over here. What happens if God starts moving over here and it looks like this? My picture's over here and I, somehow I'm just blind and I miss it and I can't see God moving or acting. Do you ever have your own picture of what God does and how he acts and how he moves? He wants to disrupt that. Whatever your picture is, God wants to disrupt your picture as he did for Peter. He wants to disrupt my picture of how I I think he ought to behave and act and move. He wants to disrupt my picture of, of, of what he's doing among those people out there that I don't necessarily feel comfortable relating to. God wants to blow all of that up as he did for Peter. Because you see, this is a, uh, this is a critical point in God's mission. If Peter doesn't get this, because when you're blind like that, Many people like you and like me, we unwittingly put an end to what God wants to do, an end to his mission. Because, because what happens is that that call to go beyond, beyond the walls, beyond our, the comfort of our homes, beyond our own city, or maybe even our own nation, that call to go beyond never happens. We never answer that call. The Corneliuses are never seen. They're never heard. And the mission is dead in the water because we've become blind. Last week, Mark told us that he believes that God is calling Middle Cross out. <laughs> Use that word out. We need that same awakening that Peter needed or we'll miss that call out. We'll miss God's activity. He wants to disrupt us. He wants to keep us on the edge for whatever it is that he's going to be moving us into. I said a journey of transformation is never easy. It's often painful. We often resist it. We don't want it. And yet God brings it anyway. So where did this, or what did this journey of transformation look like for Peter? I want you to hear, this is where I found huge encouragement this week. As I watched Peter's journey of Transformation as I reflected on how he heard God's voice and how he responded to the spirit moving in him. It encouraged my heart and my own desire to see the activity of God and to hear God speaking to me and to, to see God leading me. Not this desire I have to not miss what God is doing. So you see the encouragement I found right off the bat is that Peter didn't get get it right away. Peter didn't see right away either. I can identify with that. In many ways, Peter was clueless. And yet, even though Peter couldn't see and he was clueless, the Holy Spirit was still moving and working and transforming and awakening him, despite his own blindness, despite even his own outright resistance sometimes. Peter's part was simply to take the next step. To walk in this listening kind of obedience and, and to let God's transforming power awaken him. He didn't have to get the whole story all at once. It was God's spirit who moved in him to transform him. So what did it look like? Peter's journey of transformation looked like this. He's already, as we read in the text, he's already staying in Simon the Tanner's home. 
so in, in other words, he's kind of already dancing on the edge of taboo when it comes to his own Jewish heritage. Because if the fact that he's staying in Simon the Tanner's home means that he's staying with a guy who deals with dead animals. And for a, a Jewish person to, to come anywhere near the carcass of a dead animal was to make him impure. And he would go, have to go through all kinds of this ritual purification to get back in good graces with God. So he's already kind of dancing on the edge of taboo. And, and while he's there in the home of Simon, Simon the Tanner, he gets this vision. He falls into this hungry trance. You know, he, he hasn't eaten and he's up on the rooftop or something. And he, he gets this dream or this vision. And in this vision, God says to him, the sheet lowers from heaven with all of these unclean animals. Unclean according to his own Jewish beliefs. And the voice from God says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And that happens three times. Peter's first response is objection, right? No, forbid that, Lord. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make myself unclean. I would never do that. And the sheet comes down again. I don't know what his second response is, but it says it happened three times. And nowhere in the text does it tell us that Peter actually obeyed that voice. He didn't get up and kill and eat. It says it came down three times and then it went back up into heaven. Verse 17, right after the sheet went back up into heaven, says that he was inwardly perplexed. (laughs) I love that phrase. Raise your hand if you've ever felt inwardly perplexed. (laughs) Yes. He had no clue. (laughs) He had just seen this amazing vision, heard the voice of God speak, and and he he had no clue what it meant. But he just keeps taking the next step that the Holy Spirit puts in front of him. He keeps walking forward in this listening obedience. And so he hears a knock on the door. And the Holy Spirit, as he hears that knock and hears his serv- the servants call up and say, Someone's at the door for you. He, he hears this, I don't know how, what kind of a voice he heard, but somehow in his spirit he heard the Holy Spirit tell him, Go down and answer. <laughs> And invite these men in. I've sent them. And, and the Spirit says, actually, go without delay. So Peter takes the next step. He walks downstairs. He opens the door. He lets them in. He, he invites them in overnight. Again, taboo. Here are some Gentile people. You're inviting them into your home. Next day, he wakes up and he goes on this journey to, to the house of Cornelius with them. So for nine to ten hours, they're walking to this next town where Cornelius lives. Still, Peter has no clue what's going on, no clue what the, the vision means. And then the next day they enter Cornelius's home. Cornelius is prepared for him. Now Peter is stepping into the area of major taboo, as he says himself in verse 28, says, you yourselves know how it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But the light's starting to come on. He's like, but but God's showing me that maybe I should not call a person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. In other words, I just did what God put in front of me. I think Peter doesn't, this doesn't really all come together for Peter until he begins to preach to the people that Cornelius had gathered in his home. And I know that because in verse 34, Peter begins his message to them and it says, so... Peter opened his mouth and said, and here's the first thing he said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Finally, the message is sinking in. And I think still the full implications of the message are not sinking in because he preaches his message. 
the whole everyone in the room is converted decides to follow this jesus peter has just talked about and then and then the holy spirit this is the gentile pentecost the holy spirit now falls on these gentiles i don't think peter was expecting that had any clue that that's where the spirit was leading him and so at the end down in verse 47 it says he says well it's almost like he throws up his hands here can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people of just received the Holy Spirit, just like we did. In the next chapter, after he gets some criticism from the folks back home in Jerusalem, he's explaining, telling the story again. And, uh, and in verse eleven or chapter eleven, verse seventeen, he's he's you know answering to his own team leaders. There, he says, "Well, if then God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way?" You see how Peter is just, he doesn't know the whole story. He doesn't necessarily hear God's voice or understand God's message, but he just keeps taking that next step into obedience. Beloved, whenever God brings you or me through a journey of awakening and transformation, it can be painful. It can be difficult. It can be even unwelcome on our part. But here's what I find encouraging about Peter's story. And I'm repeating some of this, but first of all, the fact that it's just it's just not always clear. It was for Peter. It's not for me. And that's okay. It's okay to to hang out in that inwardly perplexed mode for a while. And to stay there doesn't mean you're not holy. It's not always clear. I'm encouraged by Peter's story with this idea of just take the the next step. What seems to be the next right step. Follow that whatever that inner prompting from the Holy Spirit seems to be in your heart. Step out. Maybe you're going to be wrong, but maybe you're going to be right. And maybe he's going to open the next door for you as well. I'm encouraged in Peter's story that when your heart is set on Jesus, he's the one that will do the work. He will move you. He will transform you, whether you're blind, whether you're asleep. He will be the one to awaken you. He has a lot at stake to move you into the beyond, wherever that beyond is for you. And so as long as you're setting your heart on him, he's going to do the work. You don't have to have it all figured out. Despite your inner perplexity and even resistance, he's going to move and shape you. I'm encouraged When I see Peter's story, knowing that the knowing, the understanding, knowing with certainty that you're hearing the voice of God often comes in retrospect. When you look back, when you begin to connect all of those dots. Oh, yeah. Wow. Same time, almost the same time God was talking to me. God was talking to Cornelius. Look how he orchestrated all these things together. and You begin to see this is God moving and acting and transforming me. I'm encouraged in Peter's story that God gives us time to adjust to his voice. Peter didn't obey the vision, came three times. He didn't get up, rise, rise up and kill and eat the animals. Even in his dream, he didn't do it in a dream state. Reminds me of a time at the, before Jesus left the earth that Jesus had to ask Peter three questions, right? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Reminds me of Jesus in the garden three times pleading, God, if it's your will, take this from me. Reminds me of Paul three times, God, please remove this thorn from me. 
There's something about three times. God is patient with us. He speaks to us three times or four or five or 20. Right? Some of us are a little more dense. Find encouragement in these things that you see on the screen. Peter's the giant, right? He's the rock. He's the leader. Peter, he looked a lot like I do when I'm struggling to hear what God's voice is. Well, the other huge player in this drama is Cornelius. In fact, the, the point of this whole awakening for journey for Peter is Cornelius. God wants him to see Cornelius. He wants him to see the Corneliuses. It's not just about Cornelius. It's about the entire Gentile world. And so I want to ask you this morning, who is your Cornelius? Just pack that question in, back in the back of your brain. In this story, we meet Cornelius first. He is the one who hears from God first, right? The Gentile, the unbeliever, the unclean one is the one who hears God speak first. God's work is already there in Cornelius. Think about that. Think about that. That Huge implications here. What if it, just, what if it might be that we have the wrong picture about those people out there? The not yet following Jesus people in our world. See, I grew up with this kind of certain understanding as a a Torah observant Christian missionary Alliance boy, (laughs) I grew up in a certain generation, a certain era with a certain understanding when it came to those people out there and, and our job, you know, the great commission to go and reach them. And it was a great call and it was great commission, but there was kind of this understanding that I grew up and the picture was this, that, that I have something to bring to them because I'm the one who knows Jesus, I, I'm in the know, and they don't know, so they need to know, so I have something to give to them. It's my job to, to go out and reach them and give them that gift. And so, it's not all bad. I mean, there's some, there's some truth in that. I have something they don't have. But, but the implication, what happened when I was growing up, is much of our evangelism began to look like door-to-door sales work, right? The Fuller Brush Man or whatever it was back then. It, it, the... the my job as the door-to-door salesman was to know all of the answers, to make sure I went to the classes and was able to anticipate what people would say and then provide the answers so that when I went door-to-door and they had objections, I could answer those objections and very quickly close the deal, get them to pray the prayer. And, you know, then I, that was good. People became kind of this project to do. But what if it's... Not just about that. Not just what I can bring to them. What if the focus becomes watching, listening, waiting, wondering? What if the focus becomes maybe not stepping out right away, just waiting for God's Spirit to move? Wondering what, where is the activity of God already working? And what if, what if my job is just to, to see that and then to, to join it? What if I dared to believe that the Holy Spirit is already working in those people around me that I interact with? And he's working in them to, to woo them to himself. 
And my job is not to argue them into him, but to, to, to be the vessel and to... My job is not to awaken them. It's the Holy Spirit who's already working to awaken them. It's, it's he who breathes life into people who are dead. Those who don't follow Jesus are dead in their spirits. The Spirit breathes life in them and begins them bringing them on this journey to Jesus. What if I stepped into that? How would that change my posture? I wonder what's happening there in, in these people I interact with. I'd have to slow down. If, if I was going to do that, I'd have to be a learner. I'd have to be a listener. I'd have to be one who doesn't know all the time. I'd have to be humble. Think about the people that you interact with. Think about the time it would take to operate this way. It's not door to door. Spend five minutes, close the deal. It's, it, you're in for the long haul. You're praying for them. You're, 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 you're crying over them. You're, you're asking the Spirit to move in them. And you're, you're not even necessarily stepping out to give them all the arguments until you, you get some indication that the Spirit is beginning to move. And then you step into it. And he moves powerfully. Think about people you interact with all the time. These people that you know. You know they're, you know they're, what do I know? I know they're arrogant. I know they're, they're tattooed and, and pierced and blue hair. Yeah, I'm talking about your son. And, <laughs> right? They're irritating. They're, they're, they're liberal. They're, they're, they've got all these objections. They're homosexual. They're whatever. They're never, ne- my picture is they're never going to come alive to God, right? What if, what if one of them is a Cornelius and God is already doing something there and, and I'm going to miss it because I know the answer. I know who they are. I was reflecting on this earlier in the week and, and for me, very personally, thinking of my wife, of Corey. <laughs> Yeah. So here's Tim, Torah observant, CMA, Christian Missionary Alliance person, growing up as a, a little boy. Corey's completely the opposite experience. Only believer in her family, became a believer at, at age 15. Um, so only believer in her whole family, but God had his eye on her and was doing something probably way before she even recognized it. But it all came to a culmination, you know, around age 15 when she went to a summer camp, of all things, run by an atheist. So inner city kid has an opportunity to go to a a camp. It's run by an atheist, uh, but it's a great experience. God's working, and there happens to be this, this wonderful Christian girl who's a counselor named Teresa who sees Corey. And who is bringing Jesus with her and somehow recognizes that God's stirring something in Corey. And so Teresa moves toward that and they journey together and and Corey is introduced to Jesus. And the story begins. So, I mean, great testimony. Ask her sometime. But here's what I was reflecting on around that. I wonder, as I think about a younger Tim and a younger Corey, (laughs) Corey the outsider... Corey, the, look at that family. God will never do anything there. Tim, I know all the answers, you know. (laughs) Door-to-door salesman, close the door, or close the deal. I wonder 
if a younger Tim met a younger Corey with that I know attitude, I wonder would the younger Tim have missed the younger Corey and what God was doing there? And, and, you know, it, it breaks my heart to wonder who I've missed in my life because I know. I know what I know about them. Rather than wondering and waiting and, and depending upon the Spirit to show me where He is already working. What, what, what the Spirit really needed in Corey's life was just a Teresa to come and notice and come alongside. So do you see people around you? Are you an observer, a listener? Are you humble enough to realize that maybe, just maybe, it's not all about you just maybe it's the spirit is already working and moving in someone that you encounter every single day just maybe he is looking for you to to go through this awakening and notice and join him so my assignment for you is is very simple but it's not easy assignment for you number one is just to begin start looking beyond Look beyond the, the tattoos. You know, I, I just use that kind of a picture of whatever it is you think you know about that person and who they are and what their chances of ever responding to God are. Look beyond the irritating behaviors, beyond everything you know. They would never listen. They would never change. They would fill in the blank. They would never whatever. And secondly, stop. Or slow down. <laughs> Sometimes we're in such a rush to, to take this thing we've got and share it out there with everyone we've got. And sometimes in really irritating ways. Sometimes in strange ways. But slow down. Slow down a little bit. Stop fixing people around you or thinking that you can fix them. Start believing that the Holy Spirit, that God himself is the one who's going to fix people and work in them and move in them. Very simple assignment, but very difficult assignment as well. And I want to do something just to engage us in a way of responding to this this morning. I want to introduce uh, the pipe cleaner people. <laughs> if you... If you People on the edges of the center aisle here, if you look under your chair, there's a little cup with some pipe cleaners. Here's what I want you to do. Kind of spread those down the aisles. Everybody take eight of those short little pipe cleaners and make sure kind of everybody gets all circulated around. Yes, I'm going to make you do something in response here. Jesus said this. Listen, he said, I do nothing on my own initiative. I only do what? What I see the father doing. So Jesus himself as a human walking on this earth said, I don't move unless I see my father moving first. That's how Jesus did ministry. He, yeah, he spent a lot of time with the Pharisees, but who did he move toward when he saw his father moving? He moved toward the prostitutes. He moved toward the sinners. He moved toward the ragamuffins. He moved towards those people, the Corneliuses. He listened and watched, and he moved where his father was moving. So here's what we're going to do. 
with these pipe cleaners. I want you to begin already kind of fashioning, as you see the picture on the screen, if you take four, you're going to make two little stick figures here. If you take four of those pipe cleaners, you make one into the head, one can be the body, one can be the arms, and one can be the legs. And for those of you who have really confused looks on your face, look around you and find the people who are confused and help them. You're going to make two of these. One you're going to keep and one I'm going to ask you to do something else with. Last week, Pastor Mark asked this question, who is he calling me to? He asked that question of each one of us. And he gave us some answers. He believes God is calling us to Northeast Lincoln as a church. He's calling us to the deeply wounded and abused. He's calling us to the urban poor in Lincoln, Nebraska. He's calling us to the projects in St. Louis. He's calling us to the squatters in Manila. He's calling us to the urban poor in Conakry. Let me add this morning, he's calling each one of you to your Corneliuses, whoever they may be. So my question again is, who is your Cornelius? And as I was talking and explaining this, maybe a name has already come to your mind. Cornelius, who is, who, who is one of those people out there that you interact with every day that maybe you think you know? There, there's no chance they would ever draw close to God. But who is it that you need to begin opening your eyes to and awaken to and move toward? As you begin to pray, God, where are you moving? Show me who it is you're stirring and awakening around me so that I can move toward them. It could be that you have a specific name that you want to attach in your heart to this pipe cleaner figure. This is your Cornelius. It could be that you say, I don't know. I don't have a name. I interact with a lot of people, but I I am blind. I'm not seeing where God is moving. And so your prayer is just, God, this pipe cleaner person, this is my Cornelius. I don't see him yet. I don't recognize him. I'm I'm afraid. I'm asleep. I'm blind or something. Will you please wake me up to see my Cornelius's? Maybe you're just the stick figure for you is just that. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to take five minutes. Rick's going to just play a little bit of background music. I want you to finish fashioning two of these figures and and turn to one another. Maybe it's just one other person or get around in a little group and maybe share a few things out loud. Like if, if you've got something on your heart right away, like, yeah, let me tell you who I think my Cornelius is. Share that. Um, if you want, if you feel led to just Pray for each other, whoever your Corneliuses are, do that. I want to take a good five minutes to do that before I invite the worship team to come up and close our service. So on one, two, three, go. You can go ahead and interact, talk. It's safe to talk in church from starting now. I want to ask our worship team if they would come up to lead us at this point. Here's what I want you to do. Folks, I ask you to make two, two of these pipe cleaner people. I want you to take one of those pipe cleaner people home with you. This is your Cornelius, whether it's a specific name or just this general God show me thing. Um, but put that in somewhere, in a place, somewhere in your home or your car, or somewhere that's going to remind you every day just to look, to wait. To, to, to kind of move in this listening obedience to what the Spirit is doing and begin to ask Him 
to move in the Corneliuses around you. Um, so take one of them for yourself. The other thing I want you to do, though, is, as we sing this closing song, I just want to invite you again to step out. I, folks, I believe God is calling Middle Cross out beyond. That means you, everyone here. God wants to do something. He wants to awaken something in this city through Middle Cross. And that's going to mean that each one of you need to move toward your Corneliuses. That how, that's how God's going to bring dead people into his kingdom. They're, they're not going to come in here. They might once in a while. It's only going to happen when you go to Cornelius's house. So as we're singing this song, I want you to step out as kind of a statement of stepping out and beyond. And, and just walk up here if you feel led to do this and lay that second pipe cleaner person down on the steps or somewhere here in kind of the symbolic of act, act of laying them on the altar to just say, Jesus, sometimes I don't see the Corneliuses, sometimes... Sometimes I try to control everything for them. I'm just laying this at your feet. I'm asking you to lead me and to guide me and to use me uh, to be Peter in the story who, who woke up. And so as we're singing, you know, the closing song, verse 2 says this, Perfect submission, all is at rest. I in my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. So I join you to, or I invite you to sing, bring your Corneliuses forward, and then when they're done, I just want to pray over all of you and, and all of that as well. Jeremy.